Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The base is loaded and one out. Oh, oh my God. Deep to right field. Way up there and way out of here. Second deck walk off home run. Grand slam. What is going on, everyone? Mike here, and we're going to jump right into it. I've got players trending up, players trending down, and some listener questions at the end. We can talk playing time if we have some time here. But the goal is to knock out about solid 10 or so players, talk about maybe some playing time, and go from there. So instead of wasting time, let's just dive right into the content. And we're talking about, first guy on this list I want to talk about is Cody Bellinger, just because obviously he's off to a great start. He's showing to be kind of himself again. However, what I've noticed the most here with Bellinger is that the improvements in fastballs up in the zone. Again, if you're watching the stream, it's uh, youtube.com slash at GTE fantasy. But if you aren't listening to the podcast, if you want to see the visuals, that's where you can find them. Anyway, we are back to the stream and let's talk Bellinger's uh, up in the zone. So last year he struggled mightily. Bellinger had a 39.2% K rate across the top of the zone. Batting average and XBA 130 or worse. The Woba, whoa, hello. Woba and XWOBA also under 200. Just a terrible, terrible output across the top of the zone. And if you're look curious, I use the game day game day zones on on uh it's not loading now apparently on of course it's giving me a hard time here. Uh, the Savant page, it's uh tops, it's one, two, and three. It's across the top of the zone. It's not showing me. So if I click over to this one, let's go to this tab. So this is gonna show the other tribes, but for people watching again, here's the zones one, two, and three across the top of the zone is what I'm using. And last year we talked about the numbers, how bad they were. This year. He has only an 18% strikeout rate across the top of the zone, hitting way better, 320, 372 XBA. So obviously the batting average is expected to regress, but that's to be deter- that's to be expected when it's a 545 batting average across the top of the zone. Wilba and XWOBA, same idea. He's overperforming, but even if he hits more towards what he's expected to hit, Bellinger should still he's still showing a tremendous amount of growth across the top of the zone. And that's kind of the big takeaway here is that he's not being beat by the balls up in the zone, which has been an Achilles heel of Bellinger over the years. So Bellinger's growth here at the plate, the, the changes he's made, he's on a contract gear, you know, he signed the one year proving deal with the Cubs. It's looking like a really good signing for the Cubs right now. And Bellinger, Looks so far looks to be fixed. However, we've seen Bellinger be great for a half a season before. So great, in fact, that if you look back at his MVP season, Bellinger's second half was kind of lackluster in comparison. So we could see a very strong first half. Pitchers are going to adapt and adjust. He's going to have to do it as well. All things considered, though, it's still great ROI so far to this point. Not to mention 
overall just positive things. He's trending in the right direction. Bellinger is a player you should be happy you were in on when you or if you were in on him, you should be happy with what you're getting. Alec Manoa, last start was finally a good one. Now we're going to see if he can grow all, uh, move, you know, grow off of that or continue on with that. Because obviously, rough start to the year, but Manoa, last start against the Yankees, obviously great outing. 31% CSW, you want to shoot for 30. The VO ticked up more, which is great. Both fastballs have a tick with two more inches of movement. Again, everything was working for Manoa last outing. The issue was for me is that he still left a ton over the zone. If you, if you're, again, if you're watching, you can see on my screen here, he was just, Monoa was just living in the middle here. And I think the Yankees just didn't, the Yankees aren't the Yankees of old. People know the Yankees to be the Bronx Bombers, et cetera, et cetera. However, they just aren't that team. They are almost built small ball. You have Orlando, you have Orlando, you have, you have Oswaldo Cabrera, you have uh, Oswald Peraza, guys like that. You have Volpe leading off. You have these guys that, can hit for power but mostly more contact oriented guys that'll get on base and steal bases it's not like it used to be so i don't know if it was just a matter of him getting of manoa getting away with some of those pitches because if again if you if you look at the the pitch plot a lot of sinkers a lot of sliders a lot of that stuff was just right in the middle of the zone and he didn't get crushed by it so it's still a step forward obviously again the big thing here the takeaway was the uh tick up in velocity the overall performance but for manoa however Manoa just I, I need to see more is what I'm getting at here. And although encouraging signs from the last start, we're watching to see if if he continues attacking the zone again. And it's, it's one of those things that if you again, if you're looking at the screen here, you'll notice that he wasn't exactly missing spots all the time. He still hovered in that around the edges of the zone where he should be, especially right here with the four seam where the four seam was located rather well most of the game. And he was able to keep the slider down when he at, at points too. It's just that, again, the mistakes they did leave over the middle weren't punished. That's not, not every pitcher is going to be perfect. Obviously, if he's locating more out away from the middle than in the middle, he might be able to get away from it with a mistake or two. But then you have guys like Lance Lynn who went out last start, had a decent start, but left one curveball, one hang, one hanging curveball that Kevin Biggio of all people took took yard. So you have Kevin Biggio kind of like that goes to show you that like one bad pitch can ruin a whole outing, even if you have a good outing. So that's what I'm saying. Like I'm just again just noticing all the pitches left over the middle kind of concerning me. But all things considered, still a good sign. For our boy Manoa here. And by our boy, I mean your boy, because I was never in on him. I can't take credit if he does turn on, has a great ear. Wasn't a guy I was in on. Guy I want to talk about here is Eduardo Rodriguez. Obviously, kind of a hot topic name. And he's just been good. Like he's been strong, solid, a couple of flashy outings. But the big thing here is obviously the walks are aggressive in a positive direction. We've seen the velo tick up a little bit. Not to mention the last two starts overall have come were against Cleveland, who haven't been hitting at all, and Baltimore, who has been running hot and cold. So not to say not to take away from what Eduardo Eduardo has done to this point. It's just one of those things where it was it was a good it was good timing. Obviously, if you look at the ratios, the two point three two ERA, that's great. You like that. The XERA two point six nine. Okay, so still strong as heck. However, obviously regressing in the wrong direction. Now, if you go to the FIP and the XFIP, you're looking at a full run, run and a half higher. The Sierra, I believe, falls in line with that as well. Yeah, three point nine seven Sierra for Eduardo Rodriguez. He's gotten a little lucky. Obviously, the BABIP only two twenty. So right there, you know he's going to regress with the BABIP. He's a three hundred four career BABIP guy, and even at his best, it was two seventies, two nineties. So we know the BABIP is going to regress. Not to mention, uh, but something that helps him keep, you know, play up. Something that's helping him play up to that bad bit is the lack of the lack of barrels and batted ball, uh, hard hits. You can see he's currently second lowest hard hit rate of his career, lowest barrel rate of his career to this point. Obviously, he what 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 Erod is doing is working for him. It's just one of those things that I don't know how long it's how long it'll sustain. I don't think 
this is truly who Erod is. I we should enjoy the ride while it's here. I just see a path to regression and not regression in a good way. The swinging the swinging strike rates again just below league average, ten point four percent. League average eleven percent. He is getting he is inducing more chases than league average, thirty three percent to thirty one point four percent. He's allowing more contact than average too, so he is pitching in contact a little bit. The strikeouts won't necessarily come, but I think what he's doing is perfectly fine and about what we should expect in the strikeout area. But all things considered, again, good good streamer guy, good guy you can plug into the back of your lap in deeper leagues, shallow formats. You're not you shouldn't really be too interested in him. Again, ride the hot hand, but I have a hard time believing that he suddenly is back to who he was. Even at his best, he was still a high threes ERA guy, but he was also striking out more. So if Erod reverts back closer to like a mid to high threes guy that's still gonna be helpful in terms of ratios but the strikeouts just might not be a strength of his anymore and i think it's going to be one or the other for him it's either gonna be strong ratios with with lesser strikeouts or the strikeouts will tick up but he might get punished in the process somehow because maybe he taxes his own less allows more walks and by allowing more walks when he gets hit that ball's <laughs> that those hits are gonna mean more so erod's a guy that again just i have a little bit of I expect a little bit of regression there. I'm not overly confident. Somebody that showed signs of promise and something something that I'm just kind of intrigued by is Clark Schmidt's last outing. Schmidt had a solid outing. Second straight start, increasing his sweeper. I, I pulled up here the chart. The sweeper and the sinker usage, as you can see here, it's ticking up as from here to here, from here to here. And then obviously the sinker as well. Slightly stayed in place the first start and the last start. It really ticked up as the curveball has slowly decreased each of the last two starts as well. He's all but dropped. He dropped the four seamer and pretty much dropped the changeup as well. You see, you see Schmidt kind of focusing on a two, maybe three pitch mix. And the idea here, I would assume, would be to make it easier for him. You know, you focus on two pitches, you find success with those two pitches, and sprinkle in the other two or three as needed. What this will do, he has the five pitch mix, which will help hit, which will help Schmidt keep get uh, batters guessing which is good. You want that. However, maybe Schmidt is a guy that, hey, just let him go two times through the order. The second he shows signs of struggles the third time through, you go ahead and just kind of like get him out of there. They have a deep bullpen the Yankees have over there in New York. So Schmidt is showing signs of positive regression here. The cutter, the big thing here was also was like the cutter was like he, showed, he started off the year throwing it the most because, again, he uh, Schmidt entered the year throwing a cutter for the first time. It was a new pitch. The Yankees are, I guess, are known for the cutter now. But if you've noticed, every single start has trended down and down, as in he is getting away from it. And as he's gotten away from throwing the cutter, you've seen Schmidt's production improve over the last two starts. So again, just something that reasons reasons for early opti- reasons for optimism these last two starts, reasons to believe that Schmidt could be turning it around. I don't know if I'd go out of my way to buy low, but I would definitely add him if he's on waiver wires. I mean, I'd buy low because right now low is pretty much free. All things considered, though, I like obviously you have to like what you're seeing here and i think there are better days ahead for schmidt as he figures things out in this yankees rotation oscar colas he's been just dreadful i mean batting 219 but some of the things here obviously there's a little power speed he's always had that but only one home run only two stolen bases and on the surface this is why you can't take uh strikeout rate for just what it is it's a 22.5 percent strikeout rate but when you go dig when you dig into the strikeout rate itself and we'll get to that let's get to that right now actually because i have other things i want to touch on first but you look at the plate display metrics for coloss a 47.2 percent o swing that is your chase rate that is about 15 16 almost 16 percent above league average in a bad way and then you have his swinging strike rate which is sitting right under 15 percent, which is four percent worse than league average as well he's doing this while making overall like more zone contact than average but he's he, the willingness to swing and chase 
pitchers are taking advantage of that because he has that. Like I said, he, we we met. We just talked about how much he uh, Colas is swinging and chasing overall, but he's doing that while barely making league average uh, O contact, which is contact out of the in outside the zone. It's one of those things that if he's making this much contact outside the zone while while showing a willingness to swing and miss or swing and chase, I should say. I just don't understand how the strikeout rate hasn't plummeted. I guess because the contact skills are above average here, but it's weak contact, and that's what we're getting into. So although the strikeouts haven't been there, he's making contact in the worst way. He's lacking barrels. He's lacking hard hits. And if you're not getting those, all that contact you're making, all that aggressive, all that aggression, the aggression in your profile isn't going to help you. A 28.6% hard hit rate, a 6.1% barrel rate, only three barrels on the year overall. Obviously, we're still talking small samples here, but not a strong start. A bit of a free swinger, and Colos is struggling because of it. Christian Javier, he had a good outing. People have been kind of concerned about him not living up to the expectations that we had for him, you know, entering the year. But last outing, he attacked the zone more. He kind of reverted more towards a two-pitch mix, as you can see here, the four-seam and slider. Kind of are what he's focusing on as he slowly scales back on the curveball and the changeup still remaining barely utilized. I think Javier's two-pitch mix here is good enough to be successful. He doesn't necessarily need that third pitch. That third pitch is always wanted. But then you have guys like Strider who show just how great they can be with just two pitches. And Javier, I think he's, you know, he's been lacking. He hasn't really been attacking the zone as much. And he's not not that he has to or should always have to. He has a, He's able to induce great chase, a great amount of chases. Javier is able to get swinging strikes, but he just has been missing his spots. And it's been part of an issue. But... Last outing was a very promising one. Again, he's allowing more barrels than usual. And it's just one of those things that I think as he gets comfortable, I think Javier is going to bounce back and get back into being that pitcher you expect him to be. Because even while struggling, he's still putting up solid overall numbers. So Javier is a guy that just, again, while struggling, go out and get him if you can. Because I do think he's about, I think he's going to bounce back and be closer to the guy we expected him to be compared to the guy he has been to this point. That's Christian Javier. The next one's going to be. Um, Luis Garcia of the Astros, another Astros pitcher. So if you've noticed, Luis Garcia has made five starts so far in 2023. The first three starts of the year, he had 12 earned runs in 14 innings pitched. Last two starts, he hasn't allowed an earned run in those 13 innings. What changed? Maybe there's a level of comfort there, of course, because I, I do believe there was a narrative of him having issues with the pitch clock. Okay, cool. But he increased the cutter and changeup use over these last two starts, which came with less force seam and curve usage. So maybe... Part of what's also helping him is that he's finding a feel for what's working for him right now. Luis Garcia is inducing more chases and getting more swinging strikes. Great. Fewer walks. That's a big deal. And less car less hard contact allowed. Again, it's all working for Luis Garcia. There is tangible change in terms of what he's doing as a pitch mix to attack hitters and getting that positive production in the process as well. A lot to like here. I do feel rather positive. I feel like a I feel like he's moving in the right direction. I do think there's more pop, more good than bad coming as we get as he continues to get comfortable with everything going on this year. And now we have Tommy Edmond. I want to talk about this today. I tweeted this out. The he's just he started so it's versus he's set versus two of the last five uh, right-handed pitchers. So he's not going to sit against all righties, but I do think you're going to see most of Edmond's days off come against righties because just like last year, he continues to struggle against righties. He continues to bat eight or ninth against them. And this year he's hitting a terrible 167 with a 525 OPS against right-handed pitching. Awful. 241 Woba, 51 WRC plus, 100 is like where you want to be league average, basically. So 51%, he's pretty much 50% worse than league average against righties. It's absolutely awful. The defense will keep him in most games, but do just be aware that Edmund is not 
good against righties and it's going to cause issues. Javier Baez hasn't been great this year. He is on a bit of a hot streak. The last 14 days, he's hitting very well. The power hasn't been there yet. But if you've noticed, Javier Baez does have a bit of a change in his approach, a change in his, uh, his, his actual mechanics a little bit. And there's a video of that live on the YouTube as well. If you're watching, again, if you want to go back and watch it, you'll see it there. But he's chasing less, more contact all around, in and out of the zone. You're seeing strikeout and walk rates coincide with those gains. Again, the, the I think we're due for some positive regression in terms of the the power because and overall because the barrels zero barrels he's an eight percent uh barrel rate in 2022 and a higher than eight percent barrel rate for his career but again as by as ages i do think even if it's eight percent even if it's like six or seven percent regardless the point is is he has zero barrels you know those are coming the 276 babbit i couldn't find any reasons why the babbit was that low so i do think the babbit regresses positively as well so and again we're seeing him hit better over the last 14 days uh, as a whole, he got hit in the hand yesterday. He returned to line and then was scratched. So I think he's still dealing with some swelling there. So that might slow things down. But all things considered, I do like what we're seeing from Baez. But he's just not the Baez of old. You have to understand that. I think he's trying to adapt his approach as he ages. He realizes things are changing maybe. But it is what it is. He's running. He's still in bases still. still. And right now with shortstop being the problem, the issue that it is, and not offering, not being great in terms of a position because of the, the injuries and all that adding up, I do think you could do worse than Baez. But there, at least there's reasons for some optimism there is what I'm kind of getting at. Marco Gonzalez for deeper leagues, not, not a fun name, not like a flashy name. But something I did notice was that uh, he he did change up his pitch mix a little bit. We're seeing, what was it, the uh, more curve, less cutter. So you're seeing the curveball 23.9% this year compared to 13.4% last year. And the cutter's down about pretty much. They won't, he almost swapped the usage of those two. One's up 9%, one's down 9%, basically. And... With it, you're getting more production. You're also getting different movements in his uh, pitch mixes. I'm not going to try to highlight them right now, but you're getting about two inches more in of, of horizontal movement on the fastball and about one inch more of uh, vertical movement and 1.5 inches of horizontal movement on the changeup. So more movement on the changeup. And I believe it's actually leading to more whiffs. Last I looked, it was. And yeah, so here's the fact for the four-seamer isn't, but the changeup was. The changeup's getting about 3.5% more whiffs. But he's not a strikeout guy. What it is is it's just one pitch, one more pitch. Having that pitch there that he's able to induce some whiffs, that's always good for, for a pitcher. However, I still think he's obviously going to regress negatively. He's a little pitching over a little over his head, but at least there's some reasons for it right now as pitchers uh, hitters need to adapt to him. Gonzalez also has his curveball moving more north-south, so it gives him a little differentiation between the movement of his fastball and changeup kind of going you know, east-west. You have the curveball going more north-south to give hitters a different look so hitters can't get their eyes set on it as much as – because last year that curveball for Gonzalez had more of a sweeping motion. Not a ton of sweep motion, but more than it has now. So, again, reasons to uh, – Reasons to at least buy the early production here from Gonzalez in terms of he could be a streamer. He could be somebody in a good matchup. You go out there and try to stream a win there, maybe some ratios. But he's not going to be I – don't, I don't think it's a full season thing. I think it's more of like a, hey, ride it while it's hot. Same thing with this guy, Vince Velasquez. Pitch mix, more changeups, less curveballs, uh, more whiffs on all pitches, more extension. Still not great, but still more extension. The more extension a, player, a pitcher gets on their pitches, the more deception it has in the sense that more extension – makes a fastball for instance look faster less extension can make a fastball look uh make the same fastball look slower so if you throw 95 and your extension's like below six inches or at six inches that 95 looks like it's 93 whereas if you're like closer to seven inches if you're closer to like that then it's um or seven inch i think it's feet whatever it's 
the, the higher the number, the better, the lower the number, the uh, worse. And the higher the number goes, the, that adds to that deception. Regardless, um, inducing more weak contact and pop-ups, more rise, less run on the four-seamer, and the slider also is getting more movement overall for Vince Velasquez. And that, sli- and that slider's been really solid for him. It's getting, what, three and a half more inches of vertical movement and one and a half more inches of horizontal. So it's getting more sweep and drop on it. It's uh, impressive what he's doing right now. Vince Velasquez for the Pirates and the Pirates as a whole are running hot. So why not just ride out the whole team, the hitters, the pitchers, do what you got to do. And then you have what I like to get to at the very end here because we're just kind of hitting up on some leaderboard stuff. If you go to uh, Baseball Savant, you go to leaderboards and you go to year-to-year changes, they're updated finally. So you're going to get some players and it says you're you're qualified so I don't think like stuff like this you would notice like for hard hit. I'm pretty sure you would see Kalnick up here if he I don't think he qualified last year as part of the problem or something weird. I don't know why he's not on there. I know he should be up there, but anyway, it doesn't matter. My point is, is you'll get a lot of good, you'll get a lot of names. And what the what these leaderboards are gonna give you are names to look more into. Like Connor Joe, right now 18.3% more on hard hit rates. And guys that stand out, like right now, I was looking at like, Jonathan India's hard hit rate is up 14.4%, puts him like top six right now in the in in gainers and hard hit rate from last year in terms of qualified hitters from both years jb crawford a name i never even thought i'd see on here because he hasn't really done much for fantasy he's actually last i looked today entering today jb crawford was 30th in wrc plus in the league and that's not a stat for fantasy but showing that he's hitting better there is relevance there again in deeper formats where you probably need middle infield matt chapman he's he's on every leaderboard right now he's crushing it but then you have guys like brandon nimmo like okay 52 uh 52 hard hit rate up 12 from last year okay and then that, that might trigger a reason to go look more into them. Other ones I was looking at today were uh, barrel rate. Obviously, with home runs, you want to see who's barreling the ball more. Maybe barrel rate, if you find a guy here, look, Chapman's up there again. But maybe you'll find a guy like Trent Grisham, which I think we've talked about. I'd have to go look again. But Grisham changed his approach last I looked. It was more of a one of those typical pull-heavy fly ball approaches. And Grisham's barrel rate. And sometimes that can help with getting barrels, getting more hard hits. Grisham's a guy that... He, he was doing that early on. Again, I haven't looked at him in a minute. But this is one of those things. All right, cool. So he's on this top gainers for barrel rate from last year to this year that that's going to trigger me to go look into him more got yandy diaz obviously we know we've kind of all talked about every podcast has talked about him but you get my point like that's the goal here is to get some players and then on the flip side you could you could just click on it and now you're like well austin riley down eight percent say suzuki javi baez we talked about javi baez just off a slow slow start right now jd davis while mashing is actually his hard hit rate is plummeted compared to last year so that's interesting now you go then that, that would drive me personally to go look into him more and be like so how is he performing so well in spite of these changes or in spite of this dip? And there's give and take here. So again, it's the point here is to kind of get a starting point of who's standing out in these areas. And now let me go ahead and look into them and see how they're producing and maybe why they're still producing in spite of or is are they due for ne- like some serious regression because of things. So that's why I like to go to these. I just wanted to bring that up. I thought it was worth mentioning. And then we had the other one was pull rate. Just because if you see a guy hitting from a power and you see that he's pulling the ball more. Obviously, you want to dig more into the pull stuff. Is it strictly pulling ground balls? Is he pull, like Alec Thomas? You see him on some of these like hard hit rates, barrel rates. I think he's a big gainer in most. But then you see him here in the pull rate, and I think that's just something you're going to see from Thomas trying to produce some take take advantage of those metrics he has under the hood and try to put some power up. Uh, Willie Thomas, he's on this list as well for pull rate uh, gainers from last year to this year. So it's just again worth mentioning, worth looking at too. And I think it's pops some interesting names will pop up. And I had a couple of requests, so I'm just going to dive into those players real quick from Twitter. So we're going to do it live because I haven't looked at them yet. But Brandon March, I've looked on, he's been a request on the show before. So I, I know a lot of it is rather, there's some luck there, though. I know he did change his mechanics a little bit entering the year from last year to this year. 
Not to mention, obviously, like the strikeout rate on the surface looks terrible. Babip is unsustainable, 478. However, there are, he's just he's performing. Brandon Marsh is the second has the second highest WRC plus in the league at 201 uh, amongst qualified hitters. I got to say that. But when you look at some of the numbers, you're realizing he's barreling the ball more than ever, having a really solid hard hit rate, which he showed these skills back in what LA back in 2021 in the small sample. And then you go even farther into it. You look at the fact that, yeah, he's seeing too many ground balls. So right there, that's kind of a red flag. Zero pop-ups. He was never a big pop-up guy, uh, infield fly ball guy. He didn't hit many last year. So that's something that obviously he's good at avoiding, but you still expect that to regress negatively as well, unfortunately. But a really strong go here. So the strikeout rate is really high, but Marsh has like no swinging strikes. Like Again, league average being 11, he's at 8.5% for reference. And league average being around 31, 32% for chase rate, he's uh, Marsh is sitting at 26.8%. He's doing all this. He's being that passive while putting up a 87.6% Z contact rate. And I say that because it's good. That is that is way above, that's not way above, but it's a 2.5% above league average. And zone having such a strong zone contact while not chasing and not swinging and not having so much swinging strikes means Marsh is seeing the ball well. He's being selective. And although he's being selective, that's, so because he's being selective, you see the strikeout rate kind of spiking, but it's kind of fluky because, again, it's the strikeout rate isn't truly in, in, indicative of, what he's doing under the hood. That's why looking at that strikeout rate, you might be scared off. But then when you dive into why it's where it's at, you realize, oh, I don't believe like the strikeout rate. I'm almost like, okay, I'm throwing out the window because what he's doing is working. So yeah, he's striking out quite a bit, but Marsh is doing very well in spite of that strikeout rate. And it, and I could buy it. I could believe it because of how well he how well he is doing in terms of like being patient and picking his spots. So that's why it's always important to find context and stuff. And I, I know I've been harping on that Twitter. And then the other name someone brought up was Josh Lowe. The big name was Josh Lowe. It's very simple. The big red flag, the big concern here is the playing time. He doesn't play against lefties. I don't think he has a single start against lefty or maybe he has one on the year. But Josh Lowe is a top prospect. Four home runs, four stolen bases, four for four on the stolen bases. He's going to keep running as long as he's uh, performing, as long as he's doing well. A hard hit rate, that's 31.4%. Not great. But the barrel rate, also not great, 7.8%. Those are things that actually could probably be- get better as he goes, as he, things get going. Guy that uh, he's pulling the ball plenty, keeping the ball off the ground. You like to see that combination. And I know he's not a big swing and miss guy, but he, that's here's the thing. He's usually pretty passive. His that's been That's been an issue of his in the past. However, low is increase his swing rate he is chasing a more than you'd like but i think it's by design because again he's just being more aggressive i think that aggression here in lowe's profile is what's helping him produce because while all while chasing the most of his career so by far 38.4 percent this is almost up a full 10 percent from last year he's making more contact than ever he's his swinging strike rate is down so although he is chasing he's showing he's being more aggressive overall it looks like it's by design and he's making gains in areas you want him, want to see gains made for a hitter. While, you know, again, there's a little bit of issues there. The strikeout rate might be, again, 19.1% might be a little fluky. I think that could regress negatively. But he again, it's he's being more aggressive by design. And by, by doing so, I think even though even some strikeouts, I think the strikeouts creep up a little bit for Josh Lowe. At the end of the day, I think it's a give and take here. I do think he gains more from being aggressive versus what he might lose as pitchers adapt and as he maybe you know hits cold streaks and stuff so all things there i like what i'm seeing from josh Lowe though i do it's just tough because again the inconsistent and infrequent playing time outside of the deepest formats and knowing you know the schedule ahead of time he's tough to he's he's better in daily obviously if you have if you can plug him in and all that but you just have to be patient understand that you're gonna only get a, a guy that's playing maybe two-thirds four out of every five if you're lucky type of guy and 
just unfortunate. But that's like today's game. That's a whole other thing. Today's game, that's so much more common than it ever has been that we should embrace that and realize that that shouldn't be such a knock on a player like it used to be. Obviously, you want more play appearances and more playing time that you can get. But all things considered, a player playing on the strong side of a platoon isn't a isn't a uh, death sentence it once was considering it is such a common occurrence. And the deeper these leagues you play in, you just want a guy with a pulse sometimes. And not only does Joshua have a pulse, but he actually has really strong production right now. So you just got to understand you can't have too many of these types of guys, but if you have a strong core and Josh Lowe being your fifth outfielder in some of these leagues, deeper leagues, he's fine. And shallow formats is again, tougher because now you're falling behind on plate appearances because almost everybody else has full-time players. And as good as Josh Lowe is, it's hard to make up those play appearances that he's losing compared to your average player in a shallow format. So just know your format, understand where, where he could benefit you most or hinder you the most in a given format. And I think that's, Everybody, I'm gonna. I'll look at. I'm gonna look at some playing time stuff. Let's pull up some. Uh, we're gonna pull up some lineups before we get out of here. Normally, I don't. I do this sometimes, but I guess we have some time right now. I got a couple minutes. I'll do some lineup stuff and we'll get out of here. So let's go a little larger. So we'll see. Um, obviously, Luis Arias returned to lineup today. And my big takeaway here was that Hampson, not Birdie, stayed in, and it was against the righty. Garrett looked great again today. However, <laughs> the, the the rain out kind of maybe the rain was helping him, but the rain out was affecting him. It did affect him and stop. I don't think I don't even know if he picked back up, unfortunately, because I was like three innings shut out three K's was looking really sharp, but the rain got the best of that game. Luis Urias, oh, sorry, Julio Urias for the, for the Dodgers got hit up tw- for the second straight time. The regression monster struck again, but you have um, I'm not really right now. There's like there's a whole bunch of you have J.D. Martinez out injured. You have players out with like having kids and stuff. It's it's a mess over here in L.A. You still have uh, what's his face? Will Smith dealing with the concussion stuff. And we'll see how they do. I know they're they're not the usual Dodgers team that we, we get accustomed to seeing. So it's really weird there. Here with the Pirates, obviously Connor Joe, Sawinski, Jack Sawinski, those guys are still playing pretty much every day. To to soup to Marcano, and I probably butchered the heck out of that. He's he's playing. He's batting top two pretty much against righties. Oh, sorry, yeah, righties exclusively. The fact they slid off against the lefty today kind of interesting because I think it's his first start against lefties since he's been up, or one of his first starts against lefties since he's been up. So that's something. Obviously, Drew Maggie, he's not going to be long term. I don't know what's going on with um. We'll look it up real quick. What's going on with what's his face over at their base there? Brian Hayes. There's got to be something going on there, right? I, I'm missing something. And usually, I'm on top of it. Was there an injury? Uh, no, I don't see it. I think he's just maybe it's just a day off. I don't see anything. It says yeah, it just shows him out of the lineup. So it just happened to be okay. So Mag, that's my thought because I didn't see injury news. Kelnick batted third yesterday. Speaking of Mariners, because I randomly decided to swap over to the Mariners. It, that wasn't a cut. That was me actually just doing it. Now I've ruined the transition. That wasn't even there in the first place. Uh, Kalanick, he's batting six against lefty, but he's playing against lefty. It's kind of the big takeaway here, my rambling. So he's batting against lefties. That's the big takeaway. And he's batting third. He batted third against a righty yesterday, and he's earned every bit of hitting at the top of that order. So that should be able to stick. The Cubs, nothing really here right now. Waiting on Morel and Mervis to come up. Otherwise, the team's pretty much, you know what to expect here. Bellinger is on... Uh, is on paternity leave along with a third of the Dodgers, uh, Dodgers roster. So you have that going on, which is just kind of funny. The Padres, Cronenworth made his first leadoff appearance of the year, and this is with Bogarts and Tatis in, and Machado moved down to fifth. So they are shifting things up, moving things around. However, I don't know how long it's going to last, but it could. Cronenworth leading off isn't out of the question. It's not like he's done this. It's not like Cronenworth's done much to deserve it, though. However, he again, he got the opportunity. He's getting the opportunity against the righty. He is a lefty. And Cronenworth could just run with it for a little bit. Maybe they until Machado gets going, then they bump everybody back up and Cronenworth that that back down. 
to be determined, but we, we shall see. Uh, here we this is always this is always one like today Tyler Neal starting yay but they sent down Jordan Walker they have a playing time crunch here they have Edmund in and look they have no um what's his face they have Gorman here where's the second baseman here Edmund's at second base so Brandon Donovan is also part of this playing time crunch now apparently as long as because Gorman's not moving Gorman not only is not moving from this lineup but he's batting third now against righties Gorman's playing amazing Burleson apparently has become like a mainstay as well so you see guys like Tyler O'Neill, you see Brendan Donovan getting frequent days off now. He's not he's not secured in playing time. Edmund against righties has been terrible, but again, the defense is just so strong. They usually leave him in there. However, at that if he started getting in frequent playing time, getting part of this mix, this team is just they're over it's like they're overdoing it. They have parts they could just leave in and they and they're still just mixing and matching. Speaking of mixing and matching, the Giants are just the Giants. There's really I wanted to see. So Tay's a righty. And so I did notice this. This is a, today's a righty, and this is the since he's returned, Mitch Haniger has not started against a right-handed pitcher yet. That's he's been here for four games, and he's only started two against lefties. It's weird to think that they went out and made their big splash signing and only had and have not started him against a righty yet. And just to double check this, I'm gonna pull it up here because I'm almost positive because I look again, I was looking at it today because I was like I, I wrote in my notes, keep an eye on it, and sure enough, it looks like we're gonna have to um I'm dropping the ball here. I have the button right here. We're going to share this tab instead. Here we go. Mitch Hanniger. So Hanniger's returned. And if you toggle against, against, if you toggle right-handed pitching, both of his starts are against lefties. So if you take it, if you, okay, it's taking forever to load. Uh, yeah. So if both of his starts against lefties, if we do it again, he hasn't started a single game against a righty. And then today, as we mentioned, he's not in here either so early on early early indications are that Mitch Hanniger's part of this platoon mess because they have like 15 left-handed hitting outfielders that they have to get in I guess okay um they Joey Ortiz called up today starting at second base Frazier in the outfield playing over Santander DH I gotta look more into this because there's someone there's something missing here obviously against a lefty you're seeing uh Gunnar Henderson sit right now so I'm wondering that. Oh, that was my thing. So they ha- they're actually making they're getting Frazier in against the lefty as a lefty. Usually they platoon Frazier. They're getting Joey Ortiz in right away, which makes sense because obviously why call him up if you're not going to start him? But Ortiz being the righty, I was curious to see how they would treat him against righties. If are they really going to bring up Ortiz to platoon him with Frazier? But they're seeing Gunnar Henderson against lefties. Henderson tends to when he gets his days off, they are they are usually against lefties. Urias usually platoons also against left-handed pitchers. So I don't know what they're doing here. We have, we're, it's a watch and see approach here with Joey Ortiz and the playing time as a whole. In terms of the Tigers, you're seeing a lot of Kerry Carpenter. He even started against a lefty yesterday or two days ago. So playing time's been trending up. Power's there. He really is a boomer bust power guy. Wouldn't think too much more of that. Here's this is an interesting one. So people kind of got excited for Jordan Diaz. The problem with Jordan Diaz is I'm pretty sure he falls in line with the platoon issues. Like they brought up this young guy. No reason to platoon him. But what do they do? Let's I'm almost positive. So here's the issue with Jordan Diaz. There's two Diaz's. We gotta figure out which one. So I think this is the right one. So what we're gonna do is click on this one. It should turn him purple on the on here for now. See how he's purple? So he's the purple one. So you're seeing, oh look, so Jordan Diaz has played one, two, three. Four out of six, not because obviously he's not in the lineup today. But if you do this, toggle the right-handed pitchers, he's faced one righty. He started Jordan Diaz has started against one righty pitcher to this point, and that's the issue. And another righty, and all there is is Ledmus Diaz. So one righty pitcher, and he is all he started against since he's been up. Jordan Diaz is, I do think he might be sent down when uh, Loreano returns, which could be, I believe, by next week. Uh, he's already doing running drills in AAA. 
So we'll see how that goes. But Jordan Diaz is a guy that, although it was drawing that interest and all that, I noticed he wasn't quite getting that playing time, and he still isn't. And I'm surprised because why call him up to sit him? Other than that, um, I think that's going to do it. I can, go, I can go team by team, and it'll be another hour, but I'm going to call it there. I appreciate those who listen, watch. Uh, Five-star review is greatly appreciated on, on, on the podcast. Obviously, subscribe to the YouTube. That's also really appreciated. And until next time, I'm Mike with GT Fantasy, and we'll talk very soon.